Welcome back. It's Swing Pass Championship Weekend Edition. Semifinals Friday is just a day away. Hello, everyone. I am Adam Ruffner. That is Daniel Cohen. This is Swing Pass, and we are about to get into some of the juiciest previews we have been building up towards all season long as the four remaining teams, Austin, Minnesota, New York, and Salt Lake, Get set to do battle tomorrow night at TCO Stadium in Egan, Minnesota. Daniel, you're already there. I'm about to join you as soon as we wrap up recording here today. We have some of the most tantalizing matchups of the year. Obviously, New York enters the bracket as the favorites, carrying a 28-game winning streak, as well as two of the last three AUDL titles, winning in 2019 and then again last year in 2022. The other three contenders are all first-time appearances at Championship Weekend, finally making it through in each of their respective divisions, Austin, Minnesota, and Salt Lake, winning the Central, South, and West divisions. What are you most looking forward to this weekend? We just got some news looking at the active roster list that Jeff Babbitt and John Lithiau will be activated it looks like for the New York Empire, after both of them were late scratches in the East Division Championship just under two weeks ago. That is obviously fantastic news for the Empire and any kind of spectating audience, but not such great information for the other competitors in the bracket as the odds-on favorite nice. to win the 2023 MVP in Babbitt. It's back on the field. And John Lithiau, who remains perennial under, perennially underrated, excuse me, each and every season for this Empire offense. He has been fantastic for them. He has been a disc initiator, oftentimes setting up out of double mm -hmm. teams with that big over-the-top hammer he can get off with the six-foot-five frame. It adds that size and that intimidation factor back to the offense, but New York doesn't really need it. They're coming off of a career all-time best receiving night from Benyat. He presumably switches back to defense where he's been since the middle part of last season. There are just, again, a lot of things to get into. Where does your mind go first heading into tomorrow night's matchups? First of all, I, I just think of the three championship weekend newcomers in Minnesota, Salt Lake, and Austin. I'm just excited to see how these teams will do on this stage because all of these teams have kind of been trending upwards for a while now. And for now, the, them getting their shot at New York, I mean, Austin will get their shot at New York. We'll see if another team gets their shot at New York, too. But I love the way that this is set up. And then also, I'm excited for the MVP race to finally get settled. I, I don't know if I'm so sold on Babbitt as a clear-cut MVP candidate as much as some others around the I, league are. I, I guess I just said it as he was the uh, unanimous pick at the midseason point. It felt like no, going you're not wrong. the East Division Championship game, he was kind of established in that pilot position. And yet, definitely yeah, to your point, it feels like it's been unsettled since his one-game absence. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we got Jordan Kerr, Ryan Osgar, of course, Jack Williams, Ben Yad. There's a, a host of Empire players that are always in the conversation. But this is this is the time for those stars to shine on the biggest stage. So just excited for some action tomorrow. It's wild that we're here. It's I was just thinking like back to before the season when we're recording those like preseason episodes and we're making our predictions and then it just takes so long. like it's such a grind of a road throughout the summer and then we're just like constantly just thinking like who's gonna make it who's gonna make it and now we're here it's time to play the games you couldn't be more right it has been 16 total weekends of action 18 total weeks encompassing the entirety of the 2023 calendar as we get set for the final three matchups this weekend i'm of course talking about the two semifinals tomorrow night first up with austin and new york and then Minnesota versus Salt Lake, which will culminate in Saturday's final championship game. The big one. But first, let's start with the first semifinal. You know, we talked a little bit about it on Tuesday's episode. What kind of questions we had for these Austin and New York teams. But now we kind of pivot into more matchup speculation. Getting into the nitty gritty of what it's going to take for Austin to pull off the upset. And then on the other side for New York to extend their winning streak to 29 games. And then eventually with the chance to tie the all-time record of 30 consecutive wins set by the 2013 and 14 Toronto Rush. New York could do that with a win in the championship game. A lot of poetry going in there for the Empire also. Really they is. would be just the second team ever to win back-to-back -back championships joining the Oakland franchise from 2014 and 15. 
And most importantly, Empire would become the first AUDL franchise to have three championship trophies in their showcase. So lots riding on the line from Chasing a history perspective for New York. And on the other side, there's this Austin team, as we've said again and again, but it's how they've been playing. It's so emblematic. They're playing with house money. Kyle Henke said this a couple weeks back after they beat Carolina in the first round. They continue that attitude forward. They've been chirping ever since they won the South Division title. They seem like a team kind of built in terms of its attitudes, specifically built to handle the challenge of a juggernaut like New York. They are not intimidated, at least publicly. They are very much claiming that they are very much up to this task, that they are looking to playmake against this New York team. One of the big questions we have, and now particularly with the activations of Babbitt and Lithio, are what can Austin do to mitigate some of the size advantage, some of the physicality advantages that New York has put up against opponents, not only this season, but the last several seasons? It's a great question. I mean, Austin's defense does have three very big bodies, Mick Walter, Josh Trudowski, and Oliver Fay, all, I believe, coming in at 6'4", 6'5", or taller. So, like, they will have size matchups with New York, the problem is I kind of favor New York's players just in terms of a pure playmaking standpoint and maybe overall athleticism. But I do think Oliver Faye is the guy to circle with Austin. Obviously, he had that, he had that huge, uh, not game clinching, but a, a very clutch block in the fourth, court, fourth quarter for Austin against Atlanta. Really got the soul in position to you know make their run into overtime. And he's a guy to watch, especially on Jeff Babbitt, potentially. I could see them going at it in the deep space. It's tough because when New York wants to, it seems like they can open up that deep game and overly rely on it. But maybe just the presence of having those awesome guys hovering in the deep space at all times will be enough to maybe deter New York or maybe, maybe just make them think twice about taking those shots. Yeah, I don't know. It's just felt like whenever teams have sort of challenged New York in that way, sort of rung that bell, that is exactly how the Empire want to respond. I mean, that's kind of what DC tried to do in week three. They tried to push New York a little bit deeper. That resulted in some deep balls to Babbitt and most notably Yacht in overtime. Again, in the East Division final, down Babbitt and Lithiao, you think maybe New York might play a little bit conservatively. No. They air out a bunch of hucks against a very good Breeze defense, continually connecting with Yacht and Deep Space. It just kind of feels like for as much as Austin owns this kind of Texas big show, rodeo, yeehaw, you know, ride high mentality, that yeah. it's similar to how that's how you kind of have to approach New York as a contender. That's exactly the pitfall New York wants you in, right? Like, they want you to play elevated. They want you to kind of play from an emotional or nerve-based center. They've been on the stage so many damn times as a core group that they don't get flustered by this, right? Like, we were kind of talking a little bit on Tuesday about how physical Austin played Atlanta in that South Division title game and how it bordered on a certain kind of illegality and how... They might be looking to institute that against a New York team who has Jeff Babbitt, has Ryan Osgar, has kind of Jack Williams, has these players who specifically respond to that kind of aggression with a certain kind yeah. of poise and playmaking that other teams don't have. You know, I think Austin has this idea that they can rattle teams. New York has shown again and again and again and again and again, if you come at them that way, they will put you down. And I, I just will say, wonder... I, if I can yeah. interrupt real quick, I, I think Ben Yacht on offense, if they were to play him on offense, is like the perfect matchup for what you're saying to really just like... We might get four spikes. We might get four spikes. I, 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 <laughs> Five? Well, set, that, set that as the minimum. Yeah, four minimum. Uh, I just, I, like, Ben Yacht is the exact guy you want if their defense is pushing around New York's offense because he's the guy that's going to answer. And so I, I wonder if anything like that is going through New York's mind from, like, a just, like, a, a game mentality standpoint. Like, if they need some guys to come out there and just, like, set the tone early. Maybe we see Ben Yad on like some early O points, even if he is playing primarily D-line. Something to think about. 
Well, and that was kind of, that delves into a secondary question we had was how much versatility are each of these teams going to show in adapting some of their lineups, trying to pick out and identify weak points in the opposing line that they, maybe they can go after and attack. You know, specifically, I think we talked about what can this Austin defense that has led the league in break rate this season and shown an ability to get underneath of the skin of every single opponent that they play, what can they do against the Babbitt, Lithiao, Chartox, uh, Jack Williams, right. Salman Rushmeyer, Bailey, Osgar, Vanguard. It's too long um, of a list. Efficiency, <laughs> right? I mean, just like what can Austin do? Are there individual matchups that they can go after? Is there maybe some place they can put Joey Wiley or a Matt Armour who can win some takeaways for them, give them more break opportunities? Do you put Wiley and Armour on kind of the prototypical matchups that they might be built for in like an Osgar and a Jack Williams per se? Or do you maybe try to skag them elsewhere and hunt some blocks against a matchup that might be a little bit more favorable for one of those athletes? You know, like where does your yeah. mind go and how maybe this Austin defense's defense, excuse me, approaches this New York offense? It's so tough because really any way you cut it, like whatever type of game this becomes, I, I favor New York no matter what, right? Like if it, if it becomes a game where you're just having like Osgard launch bombs and to answer whatever Austin's doing on offense, like great. New York is obviously one of the best teams in the league at that and has the size downfield and the throwers in the backfield to execute that strategy. But if Austin plays like a, a safer style and maybe they get New York to play a more possession-based approach, I also think that favors New York. Like they're they're the best team at just like playing their own pace of play and just playing possession ball. Uh, where I think there there would be like a more likely sway in Austin's favor if it was the aforementioned kind of huck-heavy style. So in my mind, you kind of want Osgar taking those shots and you want Jack taking those shots. You want to kind of bait some deep looks i know i know why you're making the face and i'm not saying that this is gonna make it so austin wins but i do think that gives them a better chance of winning if new york isn't converting like 70 plus percentage uh, 70 plus percent of their offensive possessions because i think if if austin somehow takes away all the deep looks and new york just plays like a patient small ball-esque style it takes like 30 throws per possession great, they're going to convert like 70 to 80% and you're never going to get the disc for your D-line. So you kind of like have to play a looser style to encourage more shots and try to get turnovers that way in my mind. So I kind of look at Matt Armour, who's typically a handler defender. If he can, if he can take Jack Williams, great. I, I worry a little bit about Joey Wiley on Ryan Osgar because I feel like he can, like if Osgar is just kind of, kept back around the disc then he can just kind of like run laterally and that might encourage some small ball i don't know right now i'm, I'm thinking out loud but uh yeah <laughs> my 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 bigger takeaway is that i think austin's best path to success would be to encourage whatever they can do defensively for new york to to take more of those deep shots do you think this is a game, you know, we've seen these past several, you know, the past three times New York has made championship weekend, actually even back in 2018 when they lost in the semifinals to Dallas too, they were very star driven. In 2018, Ben Yacht scored 15 total scores in that 32 to 30 shootout that New York had against Dallas. Uh, the game. first time they had made it to the bracket in several years. And then 2019, obviously, it was Yacht and Grant Lindsley kind of leading the charge for the Empire. In 2021, it was Yacht and Jack Williams and Osgar at times. 2022, it was Babbitt, Jack Williams, Ben Yacht, and Osgar. Like, they've kind of had this bulwark of star-driven power. Do you feel like in this matchup, they might use those players a little bit more as a decoy and go back to some of the success that they've had with the Chartalks in particular? Elliot and Oliver have been fantastic for fantastic excuse me for them this season charles weinberg stepped up into a larger role in the east division championship solomon rushmeyer bailey remains one of your and i's favorite pivot handlers in existence he just does not seem to make mistakes except for that one callahan throw he had on david bloodgood we and don't talk about final that, that felt like his only reset mistake in maybe two <laughs> years you know um is yeah. this one of those games where maybe they go a little bit to the quote-unquote other guys these guys who would be starters and practically all-star level players on any other roster in the league and say, hey, let's go win our four through seven matchups for four quarters straight. 
Yeah, I, I guess I out too. It. Like, I'm sorry, I, I'm blanking on maybe <laughs> sure. the most dangerous weapon of them all because he was absent <laughs> from the East Division final. But John Lithio, I mean, that dude has eaten his matchups whenever they give him something that he can do something with. I mean, last year, he went off a couple times for five, six, seven goal games. He's been a little bit more of a thrower, I think, this year and a little bit more generally involved as a mm-hmm. distributor. But they might just say, hey... Babbitt's taken. Maybe we're spelling some yacht points. They've got their bigs on Osgar or Jack or somebody else that they're worried about. Let's go let Lithia eat, you know? And I just think that he could become a huge, huge X factor if Austin isn't careful with him. Because you talk about Oliver Fay and Mick Walter and Josh Zdorowski. I like them as big defenders, particularly Faye and Babbitt. I think that that's going to be a must-see matchup if we get some of it. It's going to be but fun. I worry a little bit about the foot speed of Walter and Zidorowski on a Lithiau. Like, Lithiau yeah. can really stretch people up and down the field. There's a fantastic highlight of him essentially running a 60-yard give-and-go with Ryan Osgar from a few weeks back. Like, he can really get it moving with his legs. And I think people are so, so intimidated by his size that they're encouraged to back him, but he'll just trail you around the field right now and activate as a thrower if he needs to. And I think that that could be a huge part of New York's success this weekend. Yeah. I mean, New York obviously has the, the quote unquote role players that, that could like any one of those guys could come out and have huge games but I still think there is just something about this New York team. It's not like, I don't think they come into the game thinking like, okay, we got to run everything through Jack, Osgar, and Yacht. I just think that's kind of what happens because those are the best players on the field. And I think at this stage, all those guys with significant playoff experience, championship weekend experience, that's going to be who the team turns to. Now, if the game is it's it's kind of like if the game is close that's kind of where my mind is if the game is close that's that's when we see consistently new york stars taking over and i don't again i don't think it's like a pre-planned thing i think that's just who wants the disc more than anyone else on the line um so if the game isn't super close then yeah maybe we see a more widely distribu- distributed approach but if it is close at all even if it's close in like the second and third quarters I could see those stars really rising above to open the game up. I mean, I, again, I can't disagree with you. The data is all there. These are guys <laughs> who have made their careers showing a lot up of at this event the past several seasons. So yeah. you can't really discount them. I'm just wondering, I feel like particularly compared to last year, this season's successes of New York have been kind of in that second line defensive rotation in sure. that, like whenever they plug in Oliver Chartok on offense, when they need him in a role, he seems to come out with some perfect throwing performance and just uses and leverages his side and speed co- combinations so effectively against down rotation matchups. Like it, it's, it's not to say that obviously this team doesn't have Ryan Osgar and Jeff Babbitt and all the, the names we love to name, but it's felt more visible that the rest of those players are stepping up. I mean, to that point, Elliot Chartok was nominated as the player's choice best handler in the East division, which I don't think is unwarranted, but it certainly was a little bit surprising given not only the <laughs> talent he has as teammates, but some of the other throwers in the East division as a whole, but it's to his credit, right? Like we talked about the big performance he had in the East division championship, the way that kind of really revalidated him after the experiences he had in 2021. Like this is a team that doesn't just work on honing its star performances. They really raise the entire tide. And I think you get so distracted by these you know zenith level performances from kind of their pantheon players that you ignore the fact that Elliot Chartok is having a career season that Oliver Chartok should be considered among the most improved players in the league you know these are these are fantastic players and I think to kind of flip that over it's similar on Austin I think that we've been so taken by the highlight play of some of these top name rosters of you know Evan Swiatek, Kyle Hankey, even Duncan Fitzgerald this season and his electric play in the offense, Jake Radak, Mark Evans, but Austin as a whole, their 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 C level just continues to rise. And you see that particularly, I think, this year on defense. And that's kind of where I want to mm-hmm. maybe pivot a little bit is we've been talking about their defense. I want to start talking about their offense and how they can maybe get any kind of traction against the league's best defense in the Empire. This is an empire team that is the best team maybe ever at taking a team's best weapon and just eliminating them from the field of play. 
They did it against Salt Lake in week 12. They did it in Colorado kind of the night before. They really like to take away a team's top options and make you run through alternate routes. And so for Austin, they need to kind of figure out who is going to be the matchup that they can feed because New York does sort of leave one player on an opposing offense that they seem relatively okay with allowing to feed a bit. In the East Division Championship game, it was Tyler Monroe. He kept getting isolation looks out into space and dominating his matchup against Salt Lake. It was Jace Dunabile having that 10-score perfect night against the Empire. There is some opportunity, it feels like, where New York locks down in certain places but sort of allows one steam vent to go off that an opposition could maybe take advantage of. I, I want to see who that is for Austin because I worry a little bit about how hard New York is going to game plan about getting the disc out of the hands and out of possession of Kyle Henke and Evan Swiatek and making this Austin offense a little less supercharged than it has been in its last couple of matchups. So does Austin do something creative like spell over a Matt Armour and Joey Wiley as they did in the first round matchup against Carolina in the second half, looking mm -hmm. for a little bit more juice on some of those second half possessions. Do they maybe try a little bit different looks that they haven't shown so far? I feel like Najee has a few wrinkles that he hasn't shown to everyone quite yet this season that he's been preparing. You know, he's got those laminated double-sided sheets with play calls <laughs> and everything else structured out for them. The soul are going to be prepared. So I'm wondering what sort of little kind of, uh, you know, again, not, not like a trick play. I don't think you can approach New York in that sort of Snake way. But what? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that that would work particularly The offensive well. version. But what is, you know, what is maybe the matchup that you can give to New York that they haven't quite seen an iteration of this season? What is sort of a, a little bit of supercharger they can put on offense? Is it a Joey, Joey Wiley? Is it just trying to keep Swiatek and Henke in rhythm. I just worry about that, given how well the top defenders have been playing on New York. I mean, Antoine Davis is just right. shutting people down on the rail. Uh, same with John yeah. Randolph. I mean, he's he's a cyborg sent from the future to destroy <laughs> any kind of pass deep or in reset lanes. Just, just vicious. So what do you think Austin can do to purchase a little bit of traction against New York's defense that is just so good at taking away the things you like to do the most? Yeah, I I don't think Austin's going to have much success leaning on their handlers for this game. I mean, one, Duncan Fitzgerald is going to kind of be on his own for the first quarter. We know Radak is serving a one-quarter suspension. I think even when he comes back, those that, that Empire defense just kind of clamps down on backfields, and I feel like they make it very difficult to just to, to air out throws that are like in rhythm. But I do think New York can be susceptible at times, to like a, a better continuation game. So I, I look at guys like Hanky and Swy attack and I, I would, I would shift Joey Wiley over. I mean, obviously he's fantastic on defense and you want him playing defense most of the time, but I think they're going to spell him over to offense a good amount in the second half. Presumably if they're down, he's kind of like on their, really? Cause you know, must I score line you know i wonder like if it's in the first line. quarter i wonder if you use him really? in lieu of not having radak if you kind of give that immediate show uh, and say hey we're willing I'd to go play armor this right away because yeah. armor's more of a thrower yeah i think armor's a little bit more comfortable with the disc in his hands and in the backfield so i i'm i wouldn't be surprised if they used one of them on offense in that first quarter but i would expect it to be like you know the cutting core of swytek hanky evans uh, I shouldn't have started naming people because I'm going to leave people out. Uh, but you know, you know who what I mean. The the works. Uh, but I, yeah. anyway, I think in the second half, especially, like it's going to be one of those guys in my mind, and probably Hanky. Like I don't know who's going to draw the Hanky matchup. Maybe it is Antoine Davis, which would be super fun. But I I think Hanky is just a gamer. I think playoff Hanky is very much a thing. I think he rises to the occasion in big games, and someone's going to have to do the scoring and field stretching for the sole offense. And everyone's going to be locked up relatively in their own matchups. I just think I trust Hanky to win his one-on-one -on -one battles maybe more than anyone else on that team. So I, I didn't want to cast uh, skepticism on Hanky himself. It's more of the game planning that New York structures around. I think that they're going to be very heads up providing help defense if he does go deep. And I think that 
you know, it might be working a little bit against the soul as to how well he's been playing in those one-on-one matchups. It's not to say that he can't win a jump ball, but maybe there just is one or two too many in the semifinals matchup that the soul can't afford to turn over. It's not to say that, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly the resume speaks for itself at this point. Playoff hanky is certainly a thing. And just big game hanky in general. I mean, ever since he started having those casted games in 2021 with Dallas (laughs) and even before that, I mean, this has been his legacy since he entered the league It's to sort of elevate to this next level in showtime moments. But there's just the possibility of a disc suspending a little bit too much. You know, this TCO stadium is going to have some interesting wind in it. You know, there was one game ever played here before way back in 2018. Was it? Very early April game, basically still Minnesota winter between Indy and Minneapolis. I think it was one of the lowest scoring four quarter games Super in the scoring. history of the league. It was like 13-11 or something. And there yeah. was this very real and bizarre wind effect that would happen about 15 feet above the field. If you could keep discs beneath that ceiling, you could relatively pilot your offenses around the field. Anything above that, and it would get kicked around by these kind of swirling winds that would crop up at the higher edges of the stadium so that was a spring weather event we've had a bunch of heat here now for the past week but it is cooling off into a very temperate weekend so it'll be interesting to see if we get some low pressure systems a little bit of wind and if there is a little bit more effect on those discs and maybe limiting that sole deep attack that they love to use to kind of fire start so much of their productivity this season do you think if that is the case if they are like deterred completely from taking those deep shots i i like i want to say anytime new york is playing game if there is heavy wind and weather conditions that that just to me evens the playing field that much more and gives the other team that much more of a chance of winning so do you think that would be the same case in this one if if the wind is like ridiculous but it takes away what austin's offensive identity has been does that favor new york or does it favor austin Oh, I mean, I think it absolutely favors New York. I mean, we talk again and again about they're the best tight possession team in existence right now. They have that ability to go back to numerous kinds of sort of two-man sets where they can do Elliot Chartok and SRB or Osgar and Williams or Osgar and SRB. You know, they just have so many different permutations of basically playing two-man give-and-goes and just working into some kind of rhythm that is so, so right. good and successful in those kind of elements. And with Austin, you've certainly seen it. Like, it's not like Fitzgerald and Radak and Evans, et cetera, aren't capable of running those kind of games. Excuse me, Kyle Henke and Evan Swiatek can cycle back in and play a lot in the backfield, too. Henke showed that ability, particularly last season, for extended periods of time. He had numerous 40-plus completion games. He's been a little bit more of an upfield player this year, but he still has that ability. We just have no data from the season that Austin wants to play that way. They want to get out and get vertical so quickly. I mean, basically all their offense is designed around getting somebody into power position or getting kind of these isolated deep shots that don't have a chance for bundled uh, help defense from somewhere else on the field. And so when wind comes into play and like elements, you constrict that space. I just don't think that plays anywhere near to where the soul want to be this year. They're an athletic team. They're a big team. They want to get out there. They want to unleash those hammers over the top. They want to kind of use the full width of the field. It reminds me a little bit of the empire attack as far as their cross field sort of attacking dynamics but they just lack some of that precision that New York has. And I mean, to be fair, every other team in the league does. This is, again, why New York are the reigning champs and are on the verge of becoming the first three-time trophy holders in this league's history. It's just they play at a different level. And you think of all the adverse weather games that they've won in the past couple of seasons. I mean, they started this year in that awful game against home or at home against Philly, I should say. Uh, Last year, they had that torrential downpour game in Montreal. And in both of those games, if I'm thinking back correctly, it was like Osgar and Williams had maybe three throwaways combined and like nine. Those are Jack's favorite games, I feel like. He he goes off in all the terrible condition games. And yeah, I remember. uh, I mean, Austin played some messy games this year against like Houston and Dallas. Like, there's some weird Texas wind, and it resulted in like, what, 25 to 30 turnovers at times, which just doesn't seem within the realm of possibility for New York. 
I'd literally have to go back and look. I feel like it's 2018 or something where you'd have to go back to a 30 turnover game. I feel like it was that first round torrential downpour game against DC or something, which is the last mm. time the Empire had that kind of mistake prone play. But we've been talking too much about the first semifinal. We should move on to the second one, which is actually, I think, in a way, a little bit more anticipated. And that's because there's already a lot of noise around a big crowd coming to support the hometown Minnesota Windchill as they make their first championship weekend appearance hosting the 12 and one salt lake shred the shred are technically the second seed in this bracket but with the wind chill presumably having a huge home crowd favoritism on their side it sort of feels like an interesting away game for the shred and i think that really sets up a lot of intriguing angles for this game most notably what can the wind chill do to kind of capture that energy to kind of galvanize around a crowd they've been a team as we talked about on numerous times this season that really revitalizes itself particularly on the defensive side of the disc by churning out breaks by getting these kinds of runs and allowing the fans and everyone in the stadium to get behind them and can they do that against a shred team who is currently right now the second most efficient unit ever only trailing the 2022 empire in, to- in terms of total team offensive efficiency and success they're converting on almost 67 percent of their offensive possessions this season they look better and better as the season goes on and yet this minnesota defense kind of feels like a pretty good challenge for them it's going to be much different from some of the defenses that they faced out in the west i don't know if it will be as athletic but it will certainly be as strategically advanced and i think the size of minnesota is something that they can leverage so in your mind what is it that Minnesota, similar to Austin, what can they do as kind of a underdog here to get things going in the first quarter and make sure that they don't slip into one of their holes that they can kind of be prone to at the beginning of games? You know, Minnesota isn't always mm-hmm. the quickest of starters. How can they maybe reverse a little bit of that going into Friday night's game? Yeah, so, I mean, it all starts with the windchill defense, right? Like, I, I think they need to just try out kind of a, a whirlwind of different defensive approaches and strategies to see what sticks and see what works against, like you said, the second most efficient offense of all time. Uh, there has been no team, including New York, that has really stopped Salt Lake's offense for an extended period of time this year. And Minnesota is going to have their work cut out for them. But if they are successful in creating some turnovers early, Break chances and really taking the care, taking care of the disc on those opportunities is going to be key because I know we, we talk about like their ability to, to go on these big break runs and they've got the, the icebergs, they've got DeClerc, they've got some great playmakers, but Sam Berglund also has however many throwaways this season. It's like very capable of those like three to five throwaway games, especially if the conditions are heavy and windy. So I do think they're going to need to take an added care of the disc on those defensive possessions just because Salt Lake feels like a team and and we've seen them as a team that has responded really well after they're broken. Like they are not a team that gets a break run against them, right? Like their O-line has shown a lot of poise, experience, like kind of playing beyond their years in a lot of ways in their ability to to respond to those situations. So that's kind of where I where I view like the main tension coming into this game is like, can Minnesota do enough to disrupt the Salt Lake offense? And if they do, can Minnesota be efficient with our opportunities or is Salt Lake's O-line going to kind of hold strong after any mistakes? We've talked a little about it before, but there are few and far between weaknesses for the Salt Lake roster so far this season. It really has felt like the Empire are the only team to get any kind of advantage against them. Obviously, they're the only team to claim a win against Salt Lake in 2023, but also to your point of just even having any kind of effect about the smoothness that the shred offense has executed with all season long. And I wonder if this is maybe, maybe finally the time where some of their inexperience comes into play. Now, they didn't really show it in the playoffs last year. They haven't shown it so far this year. There's no real data to suggest that there's any real mental weakness to a Salt Lake team that is only bringing in two players with prior championship weekend experience in Joel Clutton and Grant Lindsley. Obviously, those are going to be big performers for them. 
but everyone else on the roster is making their first semis appearance. Now on the flip side, Minnesota has even less experience, but it feels like that's a little bit bulwarks by having the home crowds present. So my question is coming down from altitude, having some of the, I think liminal advantages that they have possessed, not only in the West division, but at home all season for the shred, you know, this is a team that excels in tight spaces in close matchups in end of game scenarios. We don't maybe talk about it enough, but salt Lake has gotten by in some pretty threadbare wins this season. I mean, even going back into week three at Oakland, it took overtime for them to clear the spiders out in the Bay Area. Both of their wins over Colorado were in the final moments in the fourth quarter, essentially by very slim margins. They were even on the ropes against Portland at one time earlier in the season. I know it was months ago now. You talked at the beginning of the show about how long the season is, but it's important to remember there was a time where Shred looked a little bit more vulnerable. And so I'm just saying, does any of that inexperience, that lack of a home crowd, this new environment, having to face a, a team that is defensively minded and oriented and built, does any of that have any kind of effect? Or is this simply too disciplined and almost kind of in a way destined Salt Lake team? Like they have just been on this ascent, right? Like since yeah. they got in the league, it's kind of almost been uninterrupted. And you know, we can maybe talk at a different time. The soul have been similar. There was a great Ultra World article this week talking about the soul's strategic three-year plan starting under Najee at the beginning of 2021 and how this has kind of been a culmination of it. Salt Lake is on a very similar path. Can the wind chill with their own set of destiny at home do anything to disrupt that? Or is this simply an inevitable crash course of New York versus Salt Lake round two? <laughs> I'm I'm leaning towards the latter that it is and an everyone is leaning towards course. the latter, Daniel. You don't need but, to be coy about it. You can go look at <laughs> I think everyone on Alta World except for the person who went to school in Utah picked Salt Lake I did and see New York that. as uh, fine and New York is champions. It's just things would be so different in my mind if Minnesota didn't go down to Colorado and play that terrible game. Like that's kind of the biggest thing looming in my mind. Like. What was that? What what do we make of that? How much weight do we put on it? Can we just throw it away and say, oh, Minnesota just played a terrible game, like one of their worst of the past several seasons? Like, I don't think I've, I remember them losing by double digits ever in my time following the league. Um, or is that just indicative of it being a weaker year for the Central Division? Maybe the West Division is better than the Central, finally. I mean, last year, Central, I feel like hey, the, hey, 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 hey. Oh, Central is 2-0 in the last two matchups against West Division opponents at the <laughs> championship weekend. Going I was going to gonna say, so, I was gonna say last year was kind of the reverse. Like, I think Colorado was kind of considered... Were they considered oh, yeah. the favorite over Chicago? Were they? Oh, I had. I, I, I think I had them picked. I had them as kind of essentially yeah. the, the, the opposite side of the bracket for New York after Carolina kind of fumbled a little bit during the midseason and weren't going to be able to get that two seed to set them up on the opposite side of the semifinals bracket. Like I loved yeah. Colorado and how they looked going into championship weekend and no. they got bulldozed by Chicago's yeah. defense. Yeah. And I think that was just kind of a, an inside look into, okay, the central was just way better than the West. At least that that's always like my takeaway when we get such a limited sample size of these interdivisional games. I know it's, it's hard to generalize across the whole, landscape of the league but given how how easily Colorado handled Minnesota and the fact that Salt Lake's offense couldn't really be stopped by New York's defense like that that to me is enough to favor Salt Lake in this game but I, like maybe there is enough of an x factor of it being a home game the crowd Minnesota defense and just like Salt Lake needing to not play Salt Lake's just playing in an uncomfortable spot right now. Like, they're not playing at home. They're not playing in the West Division. There's probably going to be weather. They're, there's a, a big home crowd rooting for the other team. So there is and a I'm lot working saying, against like, Salt Lake. But it's the best offense this year and the second best offense of all time. So I just, I don't know. I lean towards the numbers. You always lean towards the numbers, though. That's nothing Sue new. me. Uh, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad teleology to subscribe to, but you know, I, I just, 
I think that if there is one place where Salt Lake can be susceptible, right, is on the road. That is where they were affected in Portland. That is where they almost lost in Oakland. That is where they had their lowest efficiency at Colorado, where the Summit defense did do a good job this season of limiting them in their efficiency back on June 9th. Salt Lake's offense was held to a season low 10 of 25 on offensive possessions is 40%. Now we were talking with Alex Atkins, one of the star performers for the summit and kind of asking him earlier this week, you know, uh, how, how did you guys do that? And he sort of simply replied and aptly, you know, we have Cody Spicer. We can go and wipe Jordan Kerr a little bit off of the board and remove an MVP caliber candidate from their kind of offensive flow. And that, kind of threw a monkey wrench into everything else. And you could see Salt Lake wasn't as able to, I think, generate yardage gains uh, vertically and had to do a lot more of their kind of uh, almost metronome swinging back and forth. I remember numerous plays from uh, Luke Jorgensen being just a pivotal pivot handler, just getting the disc and ratcheting it from one side to another Mm -hmm. so that they can punch in red zone opportunities. It feels like Minnesota could employ a similar defensive tactic I just don't know that they have the team speed to do what Colorado is doing in that game. And that's eventually where I'm a little bit doggish on Minnesota right now. It's just this Salt Lake team flies around, man. Like that was even apparent against New York, right? Like New York came in, they they had defeated Colorado pretty uh, uh, decisively in that fourth quarter. They had that huge break train run. They're going in with all this momentum into Salt Lake. And the shred said, we're just going to run with you and we're going to really test you to see if you can stay with us in the third quarter. And obviously New York did that because they passed every test put in front of them. But it was really interesting to see the shred employ their true, I think, team strength, which is just speed on speed on speed on speed, 20 deep on their active roster. And I don't know that to your point in in a kind of down central year, I don't know that Minnesota has that. I think Chicago had a ton last year to deal with Colorado in that semifinals matchup, particularly when they sort of supercharged in Tim Schock, Joe White, and Dalton Smith into that defensive rotation for the semifinals game. They all had excellent performances. And I wonder who's going to kind of be that for Minnesota. Is it going to be some kind of Dylan DeClerc three goals in the first quarter game? Is it going to be... Tanner Barkus providing a lot of good help defense over the top, or is it going to be Salt Lake getting a lot of easy unders because they're just, again, so damn fast. I mean, we've barely talked about Elijah Jaime this season. He was, I think one of the most just need fit offensive acquisitions over the entire off season. He has played to his role all season long, and it's just hard to get to him because of how many other players on the set offense are excelling. I mean, again, another well, example, McKay Jorgensen. I mean, we should yeah. be considering him for rookie of the year. If it wasn't for some kind of generational defensive season from Lucas Ambrose, <laughs> McKay Jorgensen has been phenomenal sure. as a rookie handler on the Salt Lake offense, completing 98% of his throws, has that just brotherly chemistry with Luke Jorgensen in the backfield, one of those kind of one-two pairings that we are comparing with New York as far as being able to just unglue sticky points for your O-line. There's just solutions all over the Salt Lake offense, and I don't know exactly what Minnesota can do. I think, to your point, they just got to throw the kitchen sink and sort yeah. of not let the ground all. settle beneath the shred. Because I feel like that's what New York maybe mistakenly did a little bit against their offense. It felt like they got a little bit of traction, and then they just kind of deployed the same strategies in the middle part of that game. And once you let the shred kind of figure out your defensive rhythm, they're way too good at mapping everything out and right. establishing their own cadence against that. You just can't let them do that. Yeah. No, you got to keep things fresh. I'm curious if it gets late in this game and it's like, like 1919 with four or five minutes left in the fourth quarter, which team do you favor more? Because on Minnesota's side, obviously the energy of the home crowd the 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 night like the the late night semifinal game of championship weekend there's there's going to be a lot of energy obviously on their side and you know maybe it depends on what happened earlier in the game like this was a Minnesota comeback but I think I trust Salt Lake to close out games more than I've seen from Minnesota this year and you know we've saw it against Colorado twice we saw it in, in big games against LA 
Like this is a Salt Lake team that I, I just trust to play good under pressure. So I guess my question is like, can the pressure get to a point where they, where they maybe start to crack at all? Is that possible? I don't worry about that with Salt Lake. I almost worry about it more with Minnesota and the home crowd and expectations at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Like, you is know, it going to be too much nerves team. from the crowd? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, yeah. not to hark back on Minnesota sports or something like that, but there is that bedrock of just uh, not always taking care of business when there is an opportunity to be had for Minnesota sports in big game scenarios historically as somebody who's grown up here and has many friends who have endured the highs and lows of the sports teams here. It's just, it's tough. And you've seen it with Minnesota the past couple of postseasons too. They've had opportunities and they've, I think, fallen pretty short of their expectations. And so it'll be interesting to see how they deploy here. You know, one of the, the stat points I wanted to kind of mention that is troublesome is that the windshield now have three straight games converting at 68% or less in the red zone, just an abysmally low number that cannot continue into tomorrow night against Salt Lake, particularly, like you say, if this is a close game in the fourth quarter, because I guarantee you the shred will be able to punch home those red zone opportunities. I think I will select Jordan Kerr as my uh, number one thrower in the red zone right now. You asked me a couple weeks ago between him and Pollyannis. Obviously, Ryan Osgar is up there. Obviously, Jack Williams. But I think right now in the season, given the kind of bag that he has, Kerr just looks to be almost unguardable in those close quarter situations. And I think that, yeah, to your point, if it gets close, you saw, again, in the Colorado game, that was essentially a game where both teams are just working down in their red zone and then playing execution disc. And it felt like... Salt Lake was better. They just looked right. more in rhythm. You could see on that final drive of Colorado, the hiccups between Atkins and Jay Fruit in the backfield. There's never that with the shred. They're always able to get that next look, that extra pass, that reset. They're just so slippery. We trust the best offense. Should we make our picks? Like a I score prediction soon? Not like a, right. I, I think we know who we're both going to pick to win, but give me, give me a score <laughs> prediction. I'll take uh, New York 21-16 over Austin in the semi. I'll take Salt Lake 20-17 to over Minnesota in the second semi. And then I'll take Empire 22-20 over Salt Lake in the final. Okay. I like it. Uh, all right. Off the top of my head, 23-18 New York over Austin. Then we'll go with uh, – we'll go with, like – 18-14 Salt Lake over Minnesota. I and... think that was the Chicago-Colorado game last year. Was it? Was that only a four-goal game? I guess it, it always seemed like a bigger blowout earlier in that well, game. It, but then I get Colorado it was sort of one of those. It it was like four goals for most of it. It was never yeah, really yeah, like right, right. moved Okay, much. well, that's boring. Let's, let's offset it. Let's go 19-15 uh, just okay. to be different. And for the finals... Yeah, it's uh, it's another New York year, so this is gonna be a yeah, like a 21-17 New York win. I mean, congrats, I New York! New- you did it. <laughs> you saw thrilled. Uh, just <laughs> well, for point of reference, New York allowed 16 goals against Carolina in the semifinal game last year, and then only 14 to Chicago in the title game. So a low-scoring result for an opponent against New York in this bracket is very expected. But as we keep saying, we need to see these games played. And again, like, play the games. Austin is a team who's been listening to all this talk, all this favoritism <laughs> towards New York all week. They're going to be throwing it like coal into their furnaces. And again, if there is a team that can kind of just use a certain kind of bulletin board material i do think it is this young and hungry soul team they keep having you know gauntlets placed before them and they've been clearing them so if they beat new york it will be the ultimate sort of culmination of all of the self-talk that they've been doing for multiple seasons the task yeah. is ahead of them though <laughs> they've got to do it but now. but from a momentum standpoint i mean yeah like past seasons and this season they're the only team at championship weekend that had to win two playoff games to get there and they were both upset wins so like there's there's something going on with Austin I I I know that they're super excited to get this chance in New York all four of these teams believe in themselves that's why they're here right like 
This is yeah. the moment for them. They have cleared. One of the most exciting parts, too, is that we really get full-strength rosters from all four teams this year. I don't think there's a real negative or noticeable absence for injuries or other reasons. It's kind of just strength versus strength in both semifinal games, which will, again, begin tomorrow night, Friday, on AUDL TV. Both of those will be available live starting at 6 p.m. Eastern with the first semifinal between Austin and New York. And then a tentative 8.30 p.m. Eastern start time for the second semifinal. It's traditionally about 30 minutes after the conclusion of the first semifinal the past couple of years. So it's a little bit uh, fungible there, but should be a relatively disciplined night. Two of the best games all season, which will then, again, culminate on Saturday night's 2023 AUDL championship game, which will be broadcast Live on FS2, there are how-to-watch instructions all over AUDL social media and the website. It will also be simulcast for international viewers live on AUDL TV. So if you have an AUDL TV subscription and you are not in the United States, you will be able to watch the game through there. We will be watching live from TCO Stadium. We will also have a preview episode before Saturday's championship game after we've determined the two finalists. So look forward to that. We'll be wrapping up here. I've got to head to Egan. I've got to get on site. I've got to go Come on join over. this big old jamboree. All right, man. I'll be seeing you soon. I'll be seeing soon. our audience soon as well. That'll sign us off for this episode. We'll talk to you in just two more days. AUDL Championship Weekend. Let's go.